Truck or treat, good gracious. Friday night, First Norfolk, I want you to know that you served Hampton Roads to change the world. Between seven and 800 people who some were connected to our church, most were not, passed through the line of trunk or treat. Over 40 or 50 cars, trunks, uh, hosted by you, about 200 of our church family, um, served uh, those within our community and in our region. And we served simply to bless. To bless in a way that we don't know what kind of fruit that will bear over time. But I do know this, that God was pleased with First Norfolk. God was pleased with you. Uh, There were uh, single, young single adults. Uh, There were married, uh, young married couples with children. There were uh, grandparents like Edie and me. Uh, There were retired and senior adults. Uh, without any children or grandchildren there, but we all joined together to serve Hampton Roads, and I believe it will change lives. The simple act of serving will change lives. One of the things that we commit to as a church, First Norfolk, we serve Hampton Roads to change the world. You might ask, well, why is that a big deal? Why is service a big deal? Well, service is huge. Um, it's huge in a world where everybody's bumping everybody else out of the way so that they can get the front of the line. It's something we learn in elementary school. I had a friend named Paul Marks uh, in uh, third or fourth grade. And Paul, uh, every single day, would bully his way to the front of the line. Whether it was to go to the library, go to the bathroom, go to recess, or go to lunch, he would bully his way to the front of the line. And what happens in elementary school is practiced. It becomes kind of the norm for us. We're in a get ahead, be ahead, get first chair, get the front of the line kind of world. Today, we're going to hear from the great servant. His name is Jesus. And my prayer, and my prayer this week, my prayer for you, my prayer for me is that the message that Jesus delivers today would be etched on our heart. So that whether we're at work, or whether we're in church, or whether we're at our homes with family or friends who are like family, or whether we're in the communities, The message of Jesus would capture our hearts because Jesus teaches us today that being great in the kingdom of God is different than being front of the line kind of mentality. I don't know how many of y'all like Seinfeld. Obviously not a lot. (laughs) Seinfeld, uh, the main character, Jerry Seinfeld, his uh, friend Elaine uh, and uh, George Costanza were sitting in their booth at a cafeteria, a, a, a cafe shop that they ate lunch in apparently every day, all day. And they were in the, the booth that they always sat in and they were having a conversation about George and how he was jobless, 
penniless, living with his mom and dad, and how he got there. And Jerry came up with a grand idea that George needed to do exactly the opposite of what his instincts told him. If he would normally do this, then do just the opposite because obviously his instincts didn't get him very far. And so the rest of the show is how, uh, shows how uh, George did the opposite and, uh, and how it produced great benefit in his life. I believe in some ways Jesus is going to call on us to do the opposite of what our instinct is. See, our instinct is to push people out of the way to get in the front of the line. That's our instinct. But Jesus is going to teach us something different. See, in Mark chapter 10, verse 34 through 45, Jesus teaches us about selfishness, and he teaches us about sacrifice. Let me read the passage, and then we'll kind of take some pointed lessons from Jesus today. Begin in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Jesus, will you do for us? I'm not going to tell you what we're going to ask, but whatever we ask, will you do it for us? And Jesus, who wasn't fooled by their sideways question, he, he just went on. He said, well, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they said, grant us that we may sit one on the right hand, the other on the left, when you come in your glory. They're pushing their way to the front of the line. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, uh, let me get us out of metaphor for a second. When Jesus talks about the cup that he's going to drink, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath for sin that he is going to drink when he dies on a cross for sinners like you and me. When he talks about the baptism that he's going to undergo, he's talking about the baptism of God's judgment upon sin that will be placed upon him as the suffering servant who dies for sinners like you and me. And Jesus is talking about suffering. He's talking about sacrifice. He's saying, this is where I'm headed. You want to talk about glory? This is what glory looks like. Suffering precedes glory. Sacrifice precedes glory. So he said, he said, uh, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup? Are you be, be baptized with the baptism? And they said to him, we are able. Again, proving that they had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, we can do it. If it means getting in the front of the line, we're happy to do it. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the, ba and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Man, that's a lot of baptizing, isn't it? I just stopped. You know, James here uh, was the first martyr of the church. He drank the cup and he was baptized. John, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, three Johns, and Revelation, he was exiled to an island called Patmos where he lived out his days in solitude. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to sacrifice and you're going to suffer. 
Um, he said, he said, verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. So he said, um, you know, God, the father determines who sits on the right and left. Then he gives us a lesson about what that chair looks like. Verse 41, when the 10 heard it, they were, uh, they were greatly displeased with James and John. Well, you might imagine, of course, they were greatly displeased with James and John. They asked for the favor before, they, before the other 10 could get to it. Because they were all thinking about being, on the, being, being in the front of the line. But Jesus called them to himself. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires, get it, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. And then comes the kicker, and this is the verse I pray that the Spirit of God today would etch on your heart. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For the Son of Man, his name is Jesus, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. As we look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we need to understand that he is the great servant. And as a follower of Jesus, we need to understand what Jesus came to do and how he did it. Uh, it Jesus spells it out. Mark 10, 45 is um, perhaps the central verse in all of Mark's gospel that helps us understand the reason for Jesus. Why would Jesus, who is God and always has been God, let go the royal robes of his glory to miraculously and supernaturally slip his deity into the skin and the sandals of humanity? Why is it, how is it, that Jesus, who is God, became flesh and bone to dwell among us? How is it, why is it, that Jesus came to live his life among the grit and the grime of Palestine. We need to understand this. So Jesus spells it out. He says, first of all, the Son of Man came not to be served. If there's anyone among that ragtag band that was on their way to Jerusalem, if there was anyone in the first century, if there's anyone in all of human history who deserves to be served, it is Jesus Christ who is king. The one who said, I've come not to be served, is the one who was entitled to be served. He's the one who deserves it. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the king and the creator of the cosmos. Everything was made by him. Everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. Everything holds together by him. Jesus Christ is the king, the Lord of glory, and he deserves to be served, but he came not to be served. 
We get stuck in our own little entitlements and we think, oh, people owe me something. Well, friends, humanity owed Jesus everything. But he said, I'm not here to be served. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He wasn't talking metaphorically. He wasn't drawing a, a pretty little picture, picture of a, a shepherd and his sheep in a pasture. He, he, he was painting the imagery of a bloody death on a cross. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And how will he serve? And who? Who will he serve? Well, he will serve by giving his life a ransom for many. A ransom. That's, you you used to watch uh, uh, westerns, didn't you? I mean, you've watched the westerns and you know, or or kidnap movies, that kind of thing. And, and, And people, the people who do the kidnapping they, they require a ransom, you know, a, a, a ransom for the release of the one that's been kidnapped. And, and, and so you understand what ransom is. Uh, but what you might not understand is you're the one and I, I'm the one. We are the ones who have been kidnapped by sin, our sin. And we are under judgment and we are condemned and we are guilty. And we deserve the condemnation that justly comes our way. But Jesus Christ came to pay the ransom to set us free, to set us free and provide forgiveness for our sin and to draw us into the family of God. Jesus Christ came to pay the ransom, but what was the price of the ransom? It was the very life of Jesus, the holy one, the sinless one, the perfect one. The king of glory, the creator of the cosmos, the one who deserves to be served is now giving himself in service by giving his life as payment price for you and me to find forgiveness for our sin and family with God. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. The cross wasn't some accident of fate. It wasn't some outmaneuvering of the politicians of the day to put Jesus to death. No, it was the determined, predetermined, pre-planned purpose of a sovereign God for Jesus to leave heaven's throne, be born in a manger, live his life sinlessly so that he might die in your place and mine, so that he might pay the ransom that would set us free. And who did he pay the ransom for? For the many. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you've been set free by God's grace, by placing your faith in Jesus. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm talking about having a new heart, new life, new way of life. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ and there has been this moment from uh, where you've moved from the darkness of, of death and sin into the light of God's grace and life. If that's who you are, then you're one of the many. Jesus, and and, and who are the many? Well, the many are not the ones who have cleaned up and dressed up and looked nice and doing a lot of good things. The many are the grit and the grimy sinners of this world, you and me. And Jesus came to serve not the ones who were all holy, because none of us were. 
And Jesus came to serve those who were hostile toward God, those who were separated from God. He came to serve you and me. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 5. He says, he says that God shows his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. That's you and me. So Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to serve the people who deserve to be served. No, he said, I'm going to serve the sinner because none of us are saints. He's the great servant. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to understand why he came and what he came to do. He came to give us life by giving his life in our place. He came to bring forgiveness for our sin. He came so that we might live intimately with God. He came to do all that, but it came through his serving sacrifice. So when he hears James and John and the other disciples arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, he says, just wait a minute. Being great in the kingdom is not having first chair. It's not being recognized, not having the seat of honor. That's not being great in the kingdom. Being great in the kingdom is not um, uh, some status that we acquire because we pay enough dues. It's, it's not something that we have accomplished for ourselves. Being great in the kingdom is not butting other people away so that you can get first chair, be front of the line. He said, you've heard it, how people lord it over the Gentiles. And Gentiles there, he's talking about those who lord it over the Gentiles. He's talking about those who are separated from God. This is the way they live their life. They live their life as if the most important person in the room is me. And so everything I do, I do for me. And the most important thing that can happen when I get into a place is for people to do for me. Because I'm the most important person in the room. doesn't matter whose neck I have to step on. It doesn't matter uh, how, uh, how I have to hurt other people. It doesn't matter if I harm other people. All that matters is me. Anybody say, well, I don't know anybody like that. Well, you are somebody like that. You just take a little inventory of your life and your relationships. You, you might not treat everybody that way. It's been my experience that we treat the ones we love the most or say we love the most, well, that's how we treat them, like they are there to serve me. Well, friends, Jesus says it's opposite day. You see, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to understand we're following the great servant. And if Jesus gave his life to serve, if Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, then guess what you and I must do as followers of Jesus? We must live the way Jesus lived. So when we walk into a room, our first thought is not, how are you going to serve me? What are you going to do for me? Don't you see how I deserve to be served? Do you not know who I am? I deserve to cross the, 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 the velvet rope and walk the, 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 the red carpet into the VIP section. You owe me service. 
You sit in the church, people come and they say, well, you ought to serve me. How are you serving me? If you don't serve me the way I want you to serve me, then I'm going to pick up my marbles and I'm going to go to some other place. And I go to that some other place and, 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 and I walk in and I say, well, how are you going to serve me? What are you going to do for me? And if, if, you don't, if you don't serve me the way I want you to serve me, I pick up my marbles again and I go to some other place. And I, it's a cycle. And the only, the only time I stay is when you're serving me the way I want you to serve me. But the minute you don't serve me the way I want you to serve me, I walk. Friends, the problem is not the church. It's not the location. It's not the community. The problem is you've got the wrong attitude. If you walk into your home, your family, your work, your community, your friends, your church, you walk in with the idea that, hey, y'all need to be serving me. Why aren't you serving me? I'm entitled to be served the way I want to be served. And you're, that's your thought? Then make no mistake, you've got the wrong attitude. It's not the attitude of Jesus Christ. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, this is the way I live, and if this is the way I live, then this is the way you've got to live. So when I leave here and I go to my home or I go to the restaurant or I go to my job tomorrow, I go to school tomorrow with my classmates, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I must be known as one who serves. Not transactional service. Y'all know transactional service? Transactional service happens sometimes in marriage. Honey, you take out the garbage, I'll give you a kiss. I'm down for that. But that's not, the, that's not the kind of service that we're talking about here. It's not the kind of service that Jesus talks about. He didn't serve so that you might do something for him. He served so that you might be saved. And you and I, that's the way we're supposed to serve. Greatness in the kingdom is where we give ourselves sacrificially. We abandon ourselves completely to bless the other with no hope of anything coming back on us. And this is part of the problem that we have as followers of Jesus. Even when we serve, we have this idea that it's transactional. I'm going to serve, but you've got to pay me back. So the question is, how do we apply this to our lives? Because it's a big thing. And uh, after, uh, you know, after we hear this message, um, it, it, I mean, it's going it, to... We're going to be challenged by it because my prayer is and has been that Mark 10, 45 become the next memory verse you have in your life. And you go to the restaurant, Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, give his life a ransom for many. You go home. You sit down and watch your favorite NFL football team. For the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. You go and you... Uh, uh, hang out with your buddies at the golf course or in the 
thrift store. <laughs> and you're thinking, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, give his life a ransom for many. You go to work tomorrow. You go to class tomorrow. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the way I'm supposed to live. That's it. That's the way I'm supposed to live. But Eric, don't you understand? But Eric, what about this? But Eric, what about that? Let's, let's not deal with the exceptions today. Let's just deal with the rule right now. Let the rule capture our hearts so that we live and are known to be great servants following the great servant. So how do we apply it? Well, good news is I don't, have to, I don't have to make up some application. There is an application that I believe is directly tied to Mark 10, 45 in this passage. The Apostle Paul described Philippians chapter 2. Now let me tell you verse 5. He said, let this mind be in you or let this attitude be yours, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a servant, became in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5, let this be your attitude. And what is the attitude? It's the attitude that Jesus had. And what is the attitude that Jesus had? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was willing to let go the royal robe of heaven's glory. To take on the form of a servant, a slave. And being found in appearance as a man that led him to one result, and that is death on the cross for sinners like you and me. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So what does that attitude look like in followers of Jesus? Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Are you ready? It's application. Let Nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. When you leave here today, you go to the restaurant, you go to your house. Tomorrow when you go to work or you go to class... My prayer is that the Spirit of God would remind you that we're servants following the great servant. So let us let go of selfish ambition. Paul said, here's what you got to do. You got to let go of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is wanting front of the line. Pushing others out of the way. It's just about me. I need to be at the front of the line. Conceit is where we walk into a room and we're pointing at ourselves. It's all about me. Again, I'm the most important person in the room. Conceit is the picture of entitlement. Don't you understand what I'm entitled to? Don't you know the prices I've paid? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know who I am? Yes, friends, I know exactly who you are. You're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're entitled to serve. 
just as our master did. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we need to let go selfish ambition and conceit. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's about others. How can we serve them? Look, I want my family. I want my family. When they think of me, I want them to think not, oh, he's, he's head of the household. I don't want them to think, oh, he's the most spiritual man in the world. They know me better than that. When my daughters and my granddaughters and my sons-in-law and when my wife thinks about me, I want them to think, man, he's a great servant. And can I tell you, that needs to be your perspective as well. As a follower of Jesus, this is who we are. We need to be great servants, following the great servant. And we got to let go selfish ambition. Secondly, we need to make serving others greater than serving self. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one of us esteem others more important than self. They get the advantage, not me. Joyful discipleship is not me getting first chair or being front of the line or having all the honors or accolades. Joyful discipleship is where I lay my life down in service to you. Just to bless you and you to others just to bless them. So when we leave this place, we go to the restaurant, we think, what about me? Or we go home and we think about, what about me? Or we go to, uh, uh, to, to class or go to work and we think, what about me? What about me? What about me? I pray that the Spirit of God would remind you once again, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so I'm going to be like my king. And I'm going to give myself away in service to the other. Let's make serving others greater than serving self. And then finally, let's set our sights on we rather than me. Set our sights on we rather than me. Last phrase in Philippians 2, 4. And look not out, look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. <laughs> this is what happens in family is when we think, well, he gets something that I don't get. And I'm entitled to get what he gets. Now, why am I not getting what he gets? That's a me mentality happens in church. They care about them, but they don't care about me. They're doing stuff for them, but they're not doing stuff for me. That's a me mentality. 
A we mentality is we thrive together as we serve one another and serve Hampton Roads to change the world. A we mentality is I'm not thinking about what's in it for me. I'm thinking about what's in it for we. How are we going to glorify God? How are we going to bless the nations? How are we going to see God change the world? It's when we serve others the way the great servant served others. A me mentality is all about me. A we mentality is all about we. Us, objective case. Stop thinking about yourself alone. Oh, friends, this is a problem for pastors. It's a problem for you and the pew. It's, it's a problem for all of us. No matter how spiritual we are, we all have this battle with me mentality. My prayer is that every time that me mentality begins to awaken in me, I'm reminded for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. We need to be great servants of the great servant. And it will change the world. I'm thankful that my, uh, my family, imperfectly, but in a good way, taught me the value of following Jesus by serving others. When I was preparing this message, I, I thought of two people in particular. I thought, of, I thought of my wife. I can't talk about it because I'll weep. Who has served me in such a way just to bless me. Just to pour life into my life. And done it consistently for over 30 years. I can't even look at her. And I want, I want you to know the way she has served has changed my life. It's made my life in a lot of ways. I thought about my wife and I thought about my granddaddy. Went to be with Jesus not long ago at the age of 99 and be his birthday Next month, he'll celebrate in heaven. My granddaddy, he served in the Navy, World War II, spent a little time here and then went on to the Pacific. He was a gunner's mate. He got out of um, the Navy. He went straight to work at the, American, uh, the Aluminum Company of America, Alcoa. It's not called Alcoa anymore in East Tennessee. He had a, a shift worker's job. So whichever shift he was on, he'd get there, and he'd work until the shift ended, and he'd come home. He did that for over 40 years. It wasn't a grand job. It wasn't a glamorous job. It was a hard, back-breaking, kind of work that makes you tired in your bones. 
I remember being at grandmother and granddaddy's house as a little boy. My older brother Brett and I would be there and we'd wait for granddaddy to get home off the midnight shift and he'd get home early in the morning, hadn't slept. And we'd be waiting in the driveway for his truck to pull up and his shirt would be still sticky with sweat. And he'd see us and he knew what we wanted. So he could have said, no, Brett and Eric, we're not doing that. But instead, he, he would get out of his truck and he would kiss grandmother, hello. He might get a glass of buttermilk or uh, water or something. And then he'd pile us in the back of his pickup truck. That's the bed of the pickup truck. Back then, you could ride in the bed of the pickup truck anywhere. <laughs> we'd get in the bed of that pickup truck and we would call Leroy, the hound dog to get up in the truck with us and we would ride in the back of that pickup truck and granddaddy without missing a lick not complaining one bit would turn his truck around go down the driveway um, to the farm he would make his way through the uh, through the gravel drive all the way down to stock creek that ran through the farm get out of the truck and even though he had worked hard and sweated through his shirt, he still would go with his pocket knife, go through the cane break. And if you've never been through a cane break, that's not fun. He'd go through the cane break and he'd cut some cane poles. He'd strip them and then he'd bring them out and he'd get his screwdriver and he'd dig through cow patties and find some worms and he'd hook up some cane poles fishing line and hooks and worms and he'd put it in our hand and he'd take us to the creek and he'd drop that line into the water and he'd watch us catch fish and he'd take the fish off the hook and he'd celebrate and he'd go woohoo woohoo even though I know in his heart of hearts, he would really want to go, whoa, whoa. But he did it. He wasn't teaching us a skill called fishing. He was leaving us a legacy called serving. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Let's be great servants who follow the great servant. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would take hold our heart, that you would write upon our hearts as followers of Jesus. The sacrifice and the service that Jesus exemplifies for us to walk in. I pray that we would let go selfish ambition, that we would make serving others greater than serving self, that we would set our sights on we rather than me, that, that we would take hold of the attitude of Jesus Christ. I pray 
whatever setting we enter into, that your spirit would etch upon our hearts. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, Lord Jesus, raise up an army of servants to change the world. And may we set our gaze upon you, Lord Jesus, wherever we are, wherever we go. Set our gaze upon you, the great servant. May we follow after you by serving others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.